Coming up, you have probably heard of the historic bridge builder from our area, Horace King. Well, tonight, you're going to meet a Columbus pastor who has a gift for bridging the differences between people, and the name of his church is the Bridge Church. How about that? Stay tuned. There is the word, there is the way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Phil Scoggins. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Faces of Faith. I'm Phil Scoggins, your host, and this is the second edition of Faces of Faith. Last week, I started it off with my pastor, who was Paul Thomas with Evangel Temple. I thought it only fair tonight I would invite Vince Allen, the pastor of the Bridge Church in Columbus, who happens to be the pastor of my co-anchor, Teresa Whitaker. Vince, thank you for being my guest here tonight. Well, Phil, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I had, uh, in the conversation just before we started, uh, you shared about your experiences here at WRBL. You used to work here. <laughs> Absolutely. I started here approximately 1989 as a photographer, and I used to carry Teresa's bags <laughs> and shoot her stories. Well, uh, let's let's allow our viewers to get a glimpse into uh, your past, your background. You yes. are born and raised native of Columbus, Georgia, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I am. My, my dad is Reverend Rudolph Allen Sr., who is a, a retired pastor here in the area. My mom is Gloria Allen, and phenomenal parents. Uh, we have, I have uh, two brothers and four sisters. Uh, I am fortunate to have had some just phenomenal role models, and my dad and my oldest brother, Rudy, who is uh, famous in his own right. Uh, we may get to that story. Yes, get to that story. <clears throat> okay. That's amazing. So, uh, But uh, Columbus is home, graduated from Shaw High School, went to West Point Prep, but I didn't go on to uh, uh, the academy in, the, in West Point, but uh, came back to Austin Peay State University, played football there, was a broadcast communications major. So I did, as you feel, radio, television, yearbook, newspaper writing, and uh, then came back home, and that landed me my first uh, broadcast job here at WRBL. So there was certainly a shift from the training you received in broadcasting. It has certainly come in handy uh, as a pastor and in the pulpit, but, but talk us through how the transition took place between some of the jobs you held. I know that you actually coached at Shaw a teacher at Shaw also. My kids were there when you were there, so yes. I remember those days. Absolutely. Um, I believe when I went to Austin P, I I wanted to be a computer science major. I passed basics. I failed cobalt. I failed uh, <laughs> <laughs> all the computers. I started doing, I was doing horrible, and I just believe God spoke to me, and they came with this new major, and it was communication arts, broadcast communications, and I went for it. But I believe that that was God really strategically aligning me with what my gifts really are, and that is communication. Uh, whether that is from the pulpit or coaching, I was a language arts English teacher uh, there at the Shaw High School, and uh, it, it was amazing. So I believe that that pathway and those uh, opportunities uh, helped to form and shape me to uh, to being a pastor today. 
you went from Shaw. What was your next step? I know that you were um, a corporate trainer and motivational yeah. speaker. Yes, sir. Um, well, I did. So that's amazing. When I left WRBL, uh, actually when I was here, I started um, substitute teaching. So I had the weekend shift. So I would come in and work Thursday. I think I worked like Wednesday or Thursday through Sunday or Monday. Then the other days, Tuesday, Wednesday or so, I was substitute teaching. Uh, the pay was not uh, all that then. So I had to supplement my pay. And, and so I started substitute teaching. As a result of that, I went back to Columbus State and Troy. I got advanced training in education to supplement my English minor. And I went into the classroom, and that's how I landed at Shaw High School as an English teacher. I taught in LaGrange for a year. That was amazing because I coached on a national championship football team wow. in 1991. I didn't realize that. Uh, at, in LaGrange with Coach Gary Guthrie and Steve Pardue and all those guys. And then I came back home, uh, and when I came back, worked at Shaw again. And I left Shaw and went into corporate training. So I worked for a subsidiary of American Airlines. Uh, it's called Teleservice Resources, and I served as the manager of corporate training uh, there. Uh, we were training uh, the new hires how to be phone customer service representatives. And from there, there is when I received the call to pastor. And, and then I started that journey, left there, went to Aflac. So I was bivocational. Mm -hmm. And, and so Aflac was amazing mm -hmm. as well. But in all of these jobs were, or I called them assignments were in alignment with what I believe God had called me to do. I was in front of people. I was communicating and, and helping them to uh, grow and to build their lives as well. Before we move into your ministry and how you got to the church where you are, um, tell me, when did you give your heart to the Lord? Wow. Uh, I'm seven years old, Greater Shady Grove Baptist Church. Uh, my dad was pastoring. It was a Wednesday evening, and they were having an old-fashioned prayer meeting. So we would have a week of prayer meeting, and then the next week would be a week of revival. And that Wednesday night, uh, I was sitting there on the pew and, and this man, God was tugging at my heart. And of course, they're at Greater Shady Grove, which is right down on Second Avenue from, from where the Bridge Church is now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just learned about the love of the Lord, uh, had some wonderful Sunday school teachers, but I walked down that aisle that day and gave my heart to the Lord. And that prayer meeting and the revival were pre- Easter or Resurrection Sunday celebration. So about this time of year, about this time of year. Mm -hmm. So I was baptized on Easter Sunday morning oh, wow. by my dad in the uh, baptistry and the floor of the pulpit <laughs> at Greater Shady Grove Baptist Church. What a memory. Yes, sir. Well, your family, uh, you, you come from a, a, obviously you're a PK, a preacher's kid, but yes, sir. Pastoring is is in your genes. Yes. You're not the only one that's pastoring. Yes, you're absolutely right. So as far as I remember, my great-granddad, his name was uh, James Harold Carter, J.H. Carter. So many of the historical uh, black churches, he built them 
Winton Hill, uh, St. John, St. James, some of those churches. He was a brick mason as well as my dad. And they were builders. Not only were they congregation people builders, but they actually, they physically built churches. And so my, my great-granddad, J. Harold Carter, uh, he was a pastor, minister. And then my dad, my dad had, I think, three or four brothers that were pastors or ministers. And then in my family, my oldest brother, Rudy, mm-hmm. my oldest sister, Valerie, uh, then me, then my baby brother, Marlon, and then my baby sister and her husband pastor a church here in the city as well. So a, a long lineage. And then we have uh, nieces and grandsons that, uh, that are uh, in ministry as well. Let's talk about, uh, you mentioned uh, when you felt the call and, and the Lord tugging at your heart that that you needed to take that step into ministry. Right. Talk to me about that moment, and and how did you know? Well, Phil, actually, when I was 15 years old, I used to cry when I listened to my dad preach. And I played the drums for the church, and mm-hmm. but I would listen to my dad, and I would just bawl and cry. And Tender I, heart. Yeah. And, and I knew then, but, but I played sports. So sports was such a big part of my life that I thought that it was play sports, go to college, play football, like my big brother, Rudy. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, um, I, I kind of nudged that. I, did, I played it off. And uh, later on, uh, after I finished college and I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and God just tugged on my heart. And then when I was in Clarksville, the the pastor would, would preach. I would cry, I would cry, and I would cry. And it was God simply speaking to me, saying, Son, this is your call. This is what uh, the work that I have for you to do. So as early as 15 years old, mm. I can remember God tugging my heart, but I thought that football and baseball and all those things were, were, were a little bit more important at that time. Tell me how you came to pastor your first church. Wow. Um, well, I went to my dad. I was serving with my dad and uh, actually uh, received a call officially in 1989. And in our church, you would then study and prepare and preach your first message. That happened in January 1989. I served my dad for seven years at Revelation Missionary Baptist Church. It's a church that he started. He planted that church. And in those days, you didn't really hear a lot about church plants. So he planted that church. I served him for seven years. And I just felt a tug that God was speaking to me about pastoring. And he used the story of Abraham and get thee from amongst your kindred mm-hmm. and go to a place. And so that was scary because I knew church and church and family went together. So I had to separate. I started in 1996, New Life Church, and it was called New Life Christian Outreach Church. Started in the living room of my home. I put, I put $7 on the mantle of my fireplace. And I said, you know, God, this is my offering. 
for what you called me to do. And I made my I made my fireplace my altar. And I would pray there and seek God's face. And we started having Bible study in my home uh, for a few weeks. And then our first official service was April of 1996 at the YMCA. Uh, A.J. McClung, YMCA on uh, Martin Martin Luther King, on MLK. Mm -hmm. It used to be called Brookhaven Boulevard. I don't know if you remember that. I don't think so. Yeah, it was Brookhaven Boulevard. That was where the um uh the ymca mm-hmm. is there and anyway uh i we started having worship there and i had to clean the the beer bottles and the wine bottles they would have uh, parties in the back room we would clean it up but then come in and make it a temple a place of worship so that's how we started Do you uh, remember the first service yeah absolutely April 7th, 1996 i was planning for 100 people mm-hmm. and eight people showed up <laughs> <laughs> eight people showed up a guy came in with a boom box and he had uh, he was uh, intoxicated from the night before and in his boom box he had a cd or or a song and he had to god be the glory so this guy that was partially intoxicated sang to god <laughs> be the glory <laughs> on our very first <laughs> service with uh, eight people and from there, you know, it just we we remain faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that that though, um, my dad taught me how to serve the community, and as a result, we would go up and down Fifth and Eighth Street, Sixth and Eighth, Seventh down near BTW, and we would uh, serve people. We would minister to them. We would share the love of Jesus, and that's how our our ministry started. So I would go up and down MLK. I would hand out flyers. I would go to Winn-Dixie and buy food and hand out food to people that didn't have food to eat. And I would exhaust everything in our church budget because I didn't know anything about budgeting, mm-hmm. accounting, or anything like that. I'd spend all the money to get food for people that uh, needed uh, that needed food down on MLK and Adair and down in, the, in that area. You went about doing what, what the Lord did. Yes, sir. He fed uh, you know, the thousands with yeah. five loaves and two fish. Yes, sir. Well, mm-hmm. you're, you're at the Bridge Church, and obviously there was uh, some space between your first church that started yes. at the Y and, and the one that's on 2nd Avenue now. Yes. Fill in that gap for us. Wow. Um, so here we, we would go to a prayer meeting at, at East Highland United Methodist Church, Pastor Dan Gates, he's, he's passed now, but Dan and I and Mike McBride and um, Remember Mike? A, a few other pastors, we would pray, and I met Chris Mitchell, and at the time, he was a pastor of Solid Rock, Solid Rock Assembly, and so one day, Chris came to me, and he left Solid Rock and then came back into town and started a church called Bethany Worship Center. Well, I was pastoring New Life Church. It was growing. We were doing well. And Chris said, uh, we would golf together and hang out and share fellowship. He said, you know, I'm just thinking, what what would it be like if we merged our churches? And I said, man, that is, I said, not a good idea. I said, we're still in Columbus, Georgia, brother. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know if that um, would be a good idea. And... 
every time we came together, he would mention that. And so finally uh, in 2008, around March 2008, we, we merged the bridge. I mean, well, we merged New Life Church and Bethany Worship Center, and it became the Bridge Church. And you shared the story about uh, Horace King and, and Mr. Godwin, who was his, the slave owner, but Horace King was the true bridge builder. Yes. And uh, Chris has uh, subsequently moved on to North Alabama, and I've, left, I've been left here down by the river to keep building bridges here in Columbus. So it's a, a big task. Um, we, did have some, we did have some fallout, you know, as a result. But when we came together, the church was so diverse uh, it was a, a phenomenal expression of, um, I believe, the kingdom. What challenges did you face bringing two congregations of basically congregations that reflected Columbus yes, uh, under one roof to worship because Sunday mornings can be the most segregated yeah. day of the week and usually is? I call it Christ versus culture. Every church has culture, and they have a set of norms and a, a way that they do things. And so what we found out that we had a bunch of people that loved Jesus, but they didn't want to love Jesus any differently than the way that they had loved him or expressed that before. And so it was culture. It was a culture clash. More so than it was a love for Christ, it was about preserving culture and so as a result of that some of the people that came with us our church was was larger uh, they left and some of the people that were with Chris uh, they left and so we began to see the true you know really fallout and it was felt just in people it was felt in in finances and um by the grace of God, uh, we stayed there and stayed the course, and, and God has brought us through, and we're, we're still the Bridge Church today. Where did the name come from? Well, I'm really the story that you told. Okay. Uh, the coming together, the bridge and the gap, mm-hmm. um, and really attempting to uh, attempting to be a connector between all, uh, I say, ethnicities, all colors of people, all socioeconomic uh, statuses, if you will, uh, we wanted to be that bridge. And uh, we started off, and it really looked that way. But also, there has to be a level of buy-in. And that buy-in oftentimes causes sacrifice. It causes some hurt and pain to get past those places that, uh, that try the resolve of, of the vision. And uh, some people could not, you know, give up and make that sacrifice for what we really believe, you know, God was calling us to do. What was it like for you as the pastor to, to face a, you know, it had to have been, you know, a challenge for you to come mm-hmm. from the comfort of your church and, and yes. then, merge into a group of some other folks that that didn't know you Mm -hmm. um right how did you bridge that gap uh the 
the reality is Chris preached at my church more than I preached at Bethany. So there was more of a, a knowledge for Pastor Chris than, his, than the congregants of Bethany really knew me. They knew my face. I was on the board of directors, but really did not have that type of vocal influence that I had extended to him. So our people really embraced Pastor Chris. And actually, when they started Bethany Worship Center, they came to New Life Church. We were on Midtown Drive, and they used our facility in order to get started in the plant Bethany. So I will be very candid, Phil. Someone came up to me one, uh, one after one service and said, you know, I, I really don't want to hear a black man preach. And that, uh, that was tough. And, and as a result, you know, we start seeing different, a shift and I'm pretty sure there were some people that didn't want to hear Chris preach because we were sharing the, the preaching responsibilities and duties. And, um, but he came and, and really kind of how it all happened was he was like, you know, I just, I, I see the leadership. I see uh, what God has really put on your life as a leader. And I just, I think we can come together and do something great. And Chris was a phenomenal evangelist. He could like, I mean, phenomenal evangelical preacher can get him saved. And, and I was more of an administrator, organizer, uh, putting parts and pieces together, making them work properly. And so we came together. But like I say, just that Christ versus, versus culture, we, we, that we had to confront that. And it, it, was, a, it was a big one. What have you seen the Lord do through the Bridge Church over the last 10 years? What are, what are some milestones, mm. markers in the water that you are, you, and I don't want to use the <laughs> word proud necessarily, but that you're, you're grateful that the Lord yeah. moved in, in special ways? I'm glad you used the word uh, grateful. Uh, every day that I kind of start my day uh, and I'm like, you know, Father, I'm so happy and grateful now, you know, for my wife. I'm so happy and grateful now for my children, for provision, for home, just just happy and grateful. Uh, the preaching moment here is enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So the first thing that had to happen with me, God spoke to me because I was uh, like Moses, I was murmuring and complaining, God, you brought me out into this wilderness and this is not going. Uh, people are leaving. Finances are hindered. Uh, the, the responsibilities and uh, they are greater than what the money's coming in. And he said, stop. He said, until you take complete responsibility for this, he said, you will be stuck in your tracks. And so I had to take complete responsibility for moving the church forward, regardless of who was there and who stayed. He said, you take responsibility for what you believe I called you to do, because I did believe that God spoke. 
So I, I'm proud because we continue uh, to meet the needs of people. We have an organization called the Columbus Dream Center. Yes. Tell me about it. Wow. And I've the Dream got a story uh, about yeah, it. Yeah. The Dream Center is amazing. Um, we used to load up a yellow box, a box truck, a yellow box truck when we were at New Life. We would go to neighborhoods and we would load it up with food and clothing and just stuff, school supplies. And we would go into neighborhoods, whether it was MLK or whether it was South Columbus, Torchiel, it didn't matter. We would we would go and spend basically three months there taking and sharing food, clothing, the love of Jesus. And this is an awesome thing. Phil, we had a portable baptism pool and portable stall, and we would baptize people right there in the middle of Colum- the streets of Columbus, mm-hmm. Georgia. But we, we combined because Chris and his wife, Jamie, started the Dream Center. And so those outreaches were very similar. So we brought those together. The Dream Center has been in existence since 2001. And 20 so, years. Yeah, since 2001. And, and so now, every year, thousands of people, we, we give them uh, food, clothing, meals, we do school supplies, hygiene. We have a hair salon inside, and, and we've had to, to halt many of those services now because of COVID. But, but the Dream Center is a phenomenal outreach that many people don't know about in the community. Uh, and Teresa serves there and yeah. reads the kids. Mm-hmm. And, and we have not only members from our church, but we have people from the community and other churches that come and help us serve 100% volunteer driven volunteer service. And it's amazing. So I'm very proud of, of, of continuing, you know, providing for those that are, are, are less fortunate and maybe underserved in our community. Is it still the third Saturday of the month? It's the third Saturday every month. Mm-hmm. And, and now, um, our longtime director, Charlie White, Charlie and oh, Martha, Charlie, yeah. uh, they retired, resigned, re- retired about 11 years of service. And my wife, who has such a heart for community service, she stepped in and she is leading the Dream Center now. But the third Saturday of every month from 11 to 1 p.m. And you, you would be amazed at what we do in two hours to serve the community. It's amazing, and it's such a blessing. That's one thing. Um, any other high points as you look back over the past decade that you can say, the Lord led us, we, we listened, we followed, and here are the results? Um, wow. Yeah. Um, I believe the Lord told me, um, when I resisted even Chris coming, he would bring articles. He would say, look at this, look at this, bringing evidence. And I would say, man, it, this is no way. I said, no way in the world. And finally God said, um, this is, these are the three words he told me. I'll never forget. He said, this is kingdom. That's it. He said, this is kingdom. And once he said that to me, I said, okay, we have to go do it. And so I think the victory for me is always going back to those three words. 
It is not. And we've, we've baptized. We've seen so many people saved and give their lives to the Lord. We've helped so many people. But staying true to what God has called us to do in the midst of opposition and sometimes naysayers, because I had some very close people. It won't work. It's going to fold. You're not going to last. And, you know, those are fighting words for me. <laughs> and and I think that it more so than just talking numbers and building buildings and all that, it's just this is kingdom. And I do believe that uh, God is going to restore the years that the palm worm and the canker worm and the caterpillar. And I believe there's going to be a phenomenal restoration and an in-gathering uh, uh, as we continue to move forward. So I, I'm excited about that. COVID-19, it's a term that a little over a year ago, none of us were familiar with. Pandemic we had not used in years, mm-hmm. uh, only to refer to something that happened 100 years ago. Right. Uh, it changed ministry. It changed mm-hmm. the way church does church. Right. How did it impact you and your ministry and your church and your your, your members? Um we had to pivot quickly. Um, we were all we were preparing to do um, to do television broadcast and live streaming, so we had a lot of things in place, but we hadn't pulled the trigger. So, when I got the news, I was in Decatur, Alabama, and I was uh, doing a itinerant uh, ministry engagement, and and on. March the 18th, I went live, and and I said, hey, um, guys, our world is uh, being shaken. I said, things have changed. I said, I'm away from home right now, but I vow to come every night on Facebook, and I'll, I'll talk to you, and we'll pray together, and we'll do communion. And I started that on March 18th. And then we quickly pivoted and and the last Sunday that we were able to worship was the first Sunday that we incorporated our live streaming and all of that. And we just continued to move forward. Um, It's difficult. It's been extremely difficult teaching, talking, ministering to oftentimes the seats, Mm -hmm. you know, doing uh, those broadcast, if you will, without people there because, you know, our ministry and what we do is about people. So uh, the concern for people, period, you know, will they will they have such great fear that they won't be able to move forward? You know, will they allow this pandemic to paralyze them? So all those things. So it made me want to, like, go harder and and I was on live like every day. And many times I was praying in the morning with our members at 6 a.m. And and so two times a day, it was just every day for probably over six months. And the challenge for me, Phil, and, and this is all um, in transparency, I became frustrated, but I also um, exhausted. COVID got to a point in my life and it just, it exhausted me. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord, but I was exhausted. 
because I'm like, Lord, I've been praying and believing this thing will pass. And I know you're a healer, you're a restorer, and I don't see anything changing. It's not like they say about the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't get better. She had gotten even worse. And things are getting worse. And it hurt. It just hurt to see uh, people being impacted like like they were and they have been. So that, that's been difficult. Where does a pastor go when you need somebody to talk to and when you need somebody to yeah. encourage your spirit? And everybody's yeah. looking to you, but yeah. you're human too. You're right. Um, I have some phenomenal friends. Uh, first of all, my mom and dad are, are champions, so I can always just go if I want a refuge and mm-hmm. sit in sit in the lounge, <laughs> and and mom will come and pinch my cheeks <laughs> and say, "Oh, baby, I love you. Let me get you something to eat." <laughs> What you want to eat? And I'll sit there with dad and we'll look at Sports Center, the, the game show channel. So that's a, a wonderful place of refuge. And um, But I just have a phenomenal support system. My oldest brother, Rudy, we talk almost every day. He pastors as well. And, and Where's we his talk. church? It is, they are all virtual now. They okay. were at Williams Road and Veterans, Turning Point Church. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, they're all virtual now, have been for a long time. And uh, Rudy is phenomenal. He's kind of like my go-to guy. We talk almost every day. And his son, Rudy the Third, who is a special young man, um, uh, found out that little Rudy was born with Down syndrome. And they said he would never walk. He would never uh, function properly. And um, what, our family just didn't believe that. And we believe that God was able to uh, use his life. And uh, little Rudy graduated from Columbus High School. And, and Rudy will call me, Down syndrome, but he'll call me uh, two, three times a week. Uncle Vince, uh, just checking on you, brother. How you doing? And he'll say, I'm, can I pray for you? Oh, wow. And uh, he's amazing. And then I have a, a number of, of friends in the ministry. Uh, one is in Nashville, Tennessee, another in Decatur, Alabama, one in LaGrange, Georgia, and, um, and then one in uh, New London, Connecticut. And these guys are amazing. They are part of my board of directors, and, and they are encouragers and supporters. So, and uh, if I left out my wife, then I really would get a spanking. <laughs> but my wife... Uh, We'd have to give you a job here, back here at the TV station. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I I probably would take it, Bill. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But my wife, B, is amazing. Uh, She's she's by trade a a social worker, therapist, social worker. So she she knows how to soothe. Mm -hmm. She knows how to listen, but also give uh, phenomenal advice. So have a great support system. I believe that's been uh, the reason why... Uh, my strength has been renewed that the days that I've wanted to give in, cave in and quit that uh, just some great people that were uh, reminding me that of what you're doing and what God is doing through you uh, that is needed and that God needs you. So uh, great people around. What did you find was maybe a common theme that the Lord placed on your heart to preach to your congregation as they were going through this time mm. of fear 
and uncertainty. The amazing thing is it wasn't just COVID. It was political unrest, social unrest, um, uh, people of color uh, being killed at the hands of uh, law enforcement officers, those that are, you know, tasked with protecting and serving. So that preaching was, it was uh, multidimensional. So it had to be somewhat social. So I, I preached a message called breathtaking. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, George Floyd said, I, I can't breathe. But I had to remind people that the God that we serve, he's a, he's a breathtaking God. He's a, he's a awesome God. So even in the midst of our greatest challenges in life and even injustices that we have to deal with them and confront them, but we also have to look at the, the power and, the, and just the greatness of our God. So I, I, I did a message called breathtaking and it dealt with that, that what happened with George Floyd. Uh, I have to deal with the financial challenges that people are dealing with. Uh, how do you see 40 million jobs of people, you know, in unemployment lines, mm-hmm. but shortly thereafter, the stock market skyrockets again, and these jobs are not replaced. Uh, that's a reality. And most of the people that lost their jobs are, you know, people of color, you know, and so you deal with those things and you uh, have to use the, you know, I think the platform to, to address them from a biblical perspective. So I talked about what the Bible says, you know, in the time of famine, the Bible says we'll be satisfied. It says even to Isaac said, this was not the first famine. It was a, a, another famine besides the one that uh, Abraham experienced. And so I had to tell them that there's nothing new under the sun. What we're dealing with today, uh, believers of old have dealt with as well. And so we have to keep a God perspective. So my job and my responsibility is kind of refocus people back to what the word of God says. You know, let's go to the word. Let's not let our feelings get in the way. Let's not let the color of our skin get, a, get in the way. What does the word of God say about what we're dealing with? And so that's, that's what we've had to do is keep people focused on the almighty, all-powerful God. Yes. How have you seen your members uh, grow and maybe dip their toes into uh, challenges that, and opportunities that um, maybe you, you didn't think that they had it in them? Wow. We started, uh, and I have a wonderful privilege of being on the board of NeighborWorks Columbus. Mm-hmm. Kathy Williams yes. is the, uh, the director, mm-hmm. CEO. And so I'm on the board, and I, I challenged people a few years ago. We started having home ownership seminars. And not only home ownership seminars, will and estate, how to get your wheels and your financial houses in order, how to buy insurance and things like that. I, I just believe that. Uh, that we should be the ones providing education and insight. So, um, but 
But through NeighborWorks Columbus, uh, we just had this push toward home ownership. And in 2020, in the time of pandemic, we had probably eight or nine of our members to become first-time homeowners or to get new homes. That was so exciting. Patricia Tyson was one of them. Patricia Tyson, yes, (laughs) yes. Did a story on her, and she buried her Bible in the foundation of her home. In the foundation of her home. And we've gone back there and prayed with Pat and shared with Pat. And (laughs) she is an amazing woman. But Patricia Tyson and some others in our church have um, become homeowners. That is, to me, uh, it's priceless. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's priceless. Their testimonies are, are phenomenal. So that's just one of the things that, that we've done and helping people understand that faith without works is dead. That there needs to be a corresponding action to what we believe. And I'm reminded in Mark, uh, not Mark, Matthew chapter 9, Phil, uh, there were two blind men. And they were following Jesus. Can you imagine being blind and still following? Mm. The Bible said there are two blind men. They were following Jesus. And not only did they follow him, but they asked him. They said, we, we, can, you, can you help us? We want our sight. And Jesus asked them. He said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And, and in the King James, it says, why, yes, Lord, we believe. Jesus responds to them in the message Bible said, well, become what you believe. Become what you believe. And so I've spent a lot of my time challenging people's belief systems because religion, religion um, doesn't work very well when people are going through situations like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think relationship does. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do believe at any time I could have called Phil Scoggins and said, Phil, you know, I need, uh, I need a loaf of bread. See, we get so tied up in religion mm-hmm. that we don't understand that God is still a God of relationship. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants us to talk with him. And so, um, so I've been challenging belief systems. I've been challenging, you know, do you really believe that God is able? And, uh, and so through that, uh, I, I've seen people, really people in our congregation that have renewed faith and strength in, in the God that we serve. Let's talk a little bit about my co-anchor, Teresa. One of the things she's stepped out and done uh, yes. has been uh, to write a book. Yes. And uh, the name of it is, I've got it here somewhere, Beyond Behind the Smile, What the Camera Could Not Capture. Did she talk yes. to you about that? Yes. As a matter of fact, I believe the Lord gave us a few uh, inspirational, some people call it prophetic words, mm-hmm. about um, about what God will do in her life. And I believe that in seeing Teresa's life and her ministry, that Teresa had given up a lot of opportunities to kind of stay home and stay in the area and stay put. 
And I, I believed it was time for God to really put her on display and use her gifts. And, and I actually directed her. I said, Teresa, I said, you probably need to go talk to your boss or somebody because um, God is ready to use your ministry. And it's going to be beyond what people see on that TV screen. And, and so just so proud of what God is doing in her life and, and her understanding that, you know, God really wants to expand her influence and, and touch people all around the world uh, with, uh, with her book and with her ability to train people in, uh, in speech and articulation. Mm-hmm. It just, it's amazing uh, when people believe. When people believe, uh, it's, uh, all things are possible. So I, I'm excited for Teresa. It's a, it's an amazing journey to see what she's doing. Well, I know her book is available on Amazon. So. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, check it out. Check it out. Um, yes, we mentioned Rudy and your your big brother, and uh, and he has a an amazing story, and and a lot of people in Columbus know it. Yes. But let's hear it in in your words. Recount um, the the famous story that a lot of folks uh, relate <laughs> to when they think of your brother. Wow. Or for me, it goes back to this slim, tall, handsome <laughs> guy. Rudy and I are about ten years apart. Mm-hmm. So he was my Superman. He was it. I idolized him. Uh, went to every football game. Every basketball game, baseball games. Rudy was was just my guy. I wanted to be like Rudy. Mm-hmm. Now, how and big was he in high school? Rudy was, he probably graduated from Kendrick, uh, probably 6'3", six, 6'4", six, <laughs> about 180, 185. Mm-hmm. And they went on to Georgia Tech. But this is a story some people don't know. Bill, at I think 11 or 12 years old, Rudy was diagnosed with uh, childhood diabetes. And it was very close to taking his life. So from 11 years old, Rudy has uh, taken injections. Mm. So while we saw him do heroics on the playing fields, um, he had to deal with that. And, you know, this is before some of all the the technologies and, and medical advances that exist now. But I still, I just saw him. So he fought through those things. Um, and I could, uh, he could do no wrong in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I saw him leave uh, Kendrick High School under A.L. Williams, the uh, A.L. Williams insur- insurance yes. that is now Primerica. Mm-hmm. Uh, A.L. Williams was his head football coach here in the city, and, and, and Art Williams played a phenomenal role in Rudy's life and in, in encouraging him to just to just be – you know, an upstanding young man. So Rudy goes on to Georgia Tech, and, and of course, uh, you know, I, we would go see him play, and I had the wonderful privilege of walking out of Bobby Dodd Stadium, Grant Field, mm-hmm. carrying his helmet and his shoulder pads. and going quarterback. Play quarterback, mm-hmm. walking into that, the locker room, seeing <laughs> all these guys, and, and just they, they look like giants, but – the story is when Georgia Tech was playing Notre Dame, and it was near the end of the game, and this young gentleman, uh, 
Rudiger. Mm-hmm. They call Rudy. him Rudy. Mm-hmm. Rudy Rudiger. Um, the movie, gets, the movie the that movie, everybody knows was made yeah, Rudy, about Rudy's life. Made about Rudy's life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in real life, Rudy Rudiger actually tackles my brother Rudy uh, in at the end of that game. And they put him on, on their shoulders and take him off the field. And, and uh, you know, Rudy jokingly tells, he said, I got beat up all game by Ross Browner and some of the other superstars that play <laughs> pro ball. He said, if he couldn't take me down then, then he, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but that true story, it, it's amazing. And, and they had the opportunity to meet here in Columbus yes, one I was, year. Uh, I got to interview both of them when they – had a mm-hmm. reunion. It, it's been quite a while ago, but I it believe has. it was when Notre yeah. Dame was coming back to Georgia yeah. Tech to play. Absolutely. And they they wanted to get the two Rudys back together. Yeah. And I tell Rudy, I tell my brother, I say, man, you need to write the book mm-hmm. called The Real Rudy, <laughs> not the other Rudy, <laughs> but The Real Rudy, and, and tell his story. Rudy has a phenomenal story, and he's he has a phenomenal heart for people and, and ministry and and uh, just always so proud of him. And, and like I say, almost every day we talk. And I uh, just can't get enough of my big brother, Rudy. <laughs> Let's talk about how um, the Lord reveals to you what he wants you to, to minister to your people about. How, how do topics, how are they conveyed wow. to you? What, what uh, process do you go through to try to feel like that you are telling your congregation what the Lord wants them to hear. Mm -hmm. For me, Phil, it deals with um, the Lord will start talking to me. Look at that. Let me tell you, that's how. See, look at that, Phil. Look at who's calling me. Rudy. Rudy's calling me. (laughs) Rudy's calling. Well, tell him hello when you're able to talk to him. And But what happens is, God first, I believe, starts speaking to me through studying his word, through reading. Um, I do some uh, news, but to me it can be very poisoning. But I just, I get in his word, and then I filter it through what I'm experiencing. So it's not just because as as the leader, the shepherd, I'm tasked with leading them beside still water and leading them to green pasture. So as a shepherd, I'm, I'm there smelling the sheep and I'm knowing and experiencing. So, um, and so I believe that by being in touch with the people that God has called us to lead, it gives me insight to things I should be sharing. And, you know, every ministry, like I said, has culture, it has a heartbeat. And so I'm, I'm big on faith. I'm a faith teacher. Uh, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, we're and, happy to have you here on Faces of Faith. Faces brother. of Faith, that's right. <laughs> without faith. And, and I, I shared with our people the other day, is, uh, faith is the confidence to believe God's word is true. And the courage to do it. That's it. The confidence to believe God's word is true. And the courage to do what he says. And so I try to teach like that. 
as a and 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 so that really shapes my messages. You'll hear me teaching a lot about faith and about believing, about mindset, about transformation of the mind. You know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then I'll weave in maybe some things that are going on in society so that people understand that even the news media oftentimes, and I love what you do and I love what Teresa does, but oftentimes the news media, uh, the news that's coming is not positive. It's not uplifting. And so I try to steer them back to the good news, the good news of the gospel, you know, and, and, and so that's my, so you'll hear me talking. I'll, I'll, I'm pretty upbeat and and usually going to be pretty positive and I want to paint a picture of what's possible and so through that is how I uh, shape my messages. Uh, sometimes my titles are not even, like, breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a title earlier this year and uh, or last year. It was entitled Upgrade. Well, I was talking about upgrading your thinking, upgrading your view of God. All right. Maybe you thought one thing about God when this thing started, but you're going to have to see him high and lifted up, the Bible says. you got to upgrade it. And, and that's kind of the way I, I approach it because now as pastors, we're having to juggle between some of the traditional expressions versus a very uh, progressive social media, digital rural environment that many of our younger uh, audiences, they're not well versed in church, but they do understand relationships. And what they want is connection. All right. So they, a lot of the younger people, they don't care about the name of your church. They care about, they know who you are and they want to make a connection and then through that, we, we use our platform to be able to connect with them and share with them what our true beliefs are. And, uh, and so, I, you know, it, it's pretty different than when I first started. Um, wow. It's, uh, April will be 25 years, Bill. Really? That I've been pastoring. So Congratulations. 25 years. So it's quite different than when I started. Let's talk about your... Your Bible heroes, do you have one that you would want to expound on? Hmm. I quote Paul mm-hmm. so much. Um, I, I quote Paul and studied and just look at his ministry. So, uh, you know, being shipwrecked, uh, beaten for his faith. But he also talking about the thorn that in his flesh. He asked God to take that away and God shares with him, my grace is sufficient for you. So I I really enjoy uh, teaching from the epistles and sharing about the the power of grace and uh, and expounding. So, yeah, um, and I love some of the others. Uh, I like a good Joshua story, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Uh, I love a good Joshua story, but I, I, I would say Paul. Yes, Paul would be my guy. Let's shift to um, your favorite Bible verse. 
how many do you want me to read? <laughs> you just rattle them off, brother. <laughs> <laughs> One of my, I'll give you a few. Okay. Because I teach about uh, attitude. I teach about uh, attitude, attitude being important in your life and in your trajectory of life. So uh, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, attitude. The next thing I talk about is atmosphere. And a part of atmosphere is environment or associations. It's who you're hanging out with. So Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Yeah, right. And And so that is so important because for me, it speaks to having right associations, being in the right environment. And that's important to me, and that's why oftentimes with my family, my sons, my daughters, my grandbabies, I, I speak positively. I'm like, I'm so happy and blessed. And I'm so thankful now that you're in my life. And, and that speaks to just creating an environment that's happy and wholesome, that uh, has the right energy in it. And, uh, and so those two would be uh, about mindset and associations, attitude and associations. And then the last one would be faith without works is dead. That would be the actions. So you have the attitude you have the associations and then you have the actions faith without works is dead so i'll give you three rudy thank you one of the things that i try to bring out when i have a guest on a a program Mm -hmm. is to get beyond the um the surface and sort of do a deep dive into someone's heart and and the things that uh motivate them that yeah. that excite them yeah that make them uh do what they do and so i feel like that if people have not known you before tonight mm-hmm. um they've gotten uh, a good flavor and taste of who yeah. uh vince allen is and so on behalf of of me personally we've had a long friendship yes, i don't sir. get to see you as long as often as i would like yes sir. maybe we can change that uh, going forward but yes I do uh, appreciate you taking your time on this Thursday night, yes, being sir. a face of faith in our community. We appreciate what you do Thank and you. the service that you provide, not only to your members, but to our community. Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure being here, and you're such a phenomenal brother. Um, phenomenal brother. Well, we talk about uh, you did relationships, and and that's really, you know, when this life is over, that's that's what it comes down to the people that you've touched interacted with and connected with in this life and i'm glad that uh, our paths intersected thank you sir it's been a pleasure and i know that uh, we got a few more miles to travel together amen brother thank you just want to remind folks that you can watch the faces of faith stream live on wrbl.com every thursday night 7 p.m eastern 6 p.m central time You can watch the replay the next day on our website. And then coming soon, you can make sure to subscribe to the podcast, either on Apple, Spotify, or Audible, so you can listen to the show on the go. And before we wrap up, I want to thank the gentleman to my left, Dylan Hansen. He is our director, and without him, the magic of this moment would not have happened. Dylan, 
God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. And again, we want to thank you for joining us. This has been Faces of Faith, the second edition. And before we go, just a reminder that whatever you might be going through, always remember to keep the faith. Good night.